0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.
1: Welcome to our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of our webinar run on Wednesday the 29th of July 2020. Okay, so welcome everybody. Um, Nigel, do you want to make a start?
2: Yes, um, thank you and welcome to everybody. Um, Probably the biggest item on my agenda this week is, um, dare I say, flu. So I'll just give you some updates. So we're expecting the um, much-anticipated flu letter to come out of NHS England, um, or actually it's probably going to come from the Department of Health because I understand it's um, being coordinated by the Chief Medical Officer. So we're expecting that to come out today. Um, The things that we think are going to be in it, um, if I just go through um, the targets for uh, all age groups and people with long-term conditions are going to go up 75% we believe. Um, As you've read in the uh, newspapers and other things this year they particularly want a mass campaign and want um, bigger uptake because they think the risk of Covid uh, associated with flu will increase mortality significantly so um, that's why there's the push. Um, They have extended the groups so they will include shielded patients and people living with shielded patients They particularly want um, healthcare and social care workers to be vaccinated. And there is this um, group between 50 and 65 who are not in the at-risk groups. Now, the newspapers did report this incorrectly. So what they're looking for is towards the end of the vaccination period, they will then announce if they've got enough vaccine to immunise the 50 to 65-year-olds. So they're asking practices not to do the, if they're on your at-risk groups, please do them early. Um, But if they are not in the at-risk groups, even if they come in and beg you to have the vaccine, please wait until later on um, because the uh, Department of Health will look at how much vaccine is available. They have secured significant additional doses. So just because your practice has ordered a certain amount um, and you won't have enough to do all the people they're talking about, do not worry at this stage, there will be more vaccine made available later. We know that if we vaccinate as we are at the moment with social distancing and full PPE, logistically, that will be a nightmare for practices. The sheer numbers we're being asked to vaccinate are also a bit of a nightmare. So all I would suggest is please wait until you get the flu letter, because we are expecting that to include some information about PPE, that the expectation is that all practices will be provided with sufficient PPE, but also the requirements for PPE, if the COVID levels are low and the risk to patients are low, may change. And if the um, PPE requirements change, then logistically that might make it easier to get the numbers through that you want. Um, Several people have asked me about, well, how much do we get paid for flu? So just remember at the moment you get the £10 and sixpence as an item of service fee. If you buy the vaccine in, then you'll get 10.5% of the cost as a dispensing fee. The quaff points have doubled for flu. And also there's an element in the impact and investment fund for PCN DES, which is flu. So um, we, I'm sure we'll come back to flu and we'll have further discussions about um, additional funding that we have asked for for practice to be able to deliver a mass campaign um, for what we do about doing services in church halls, village halls, um, drive-through etc. All those have been discussed nationally and we're hopeful that some of that information will come out in the flu letter. The second bit is the COVID vaccine. As you're probably aware the trials have gone from phase two to phase three so starting in September in Dorset and Hampshire there will be more extensive trials going on um, to test the vaccine. It looks like the vaccine will be needed to, to be two-dosed with a space of a 28 days to a month. Um, currently, they're saying that even if it does become available, they will not be giving it at the same time as flu vaccine. So the, there are rumours around that we'll be asked to do a COVID vaccine campaign at the same time as flu. Um, I don't know the information about when it will be licensed and made available, but it seems to me unlikely that if we're doing the phase three trials of one of the major vaccines in the UK, so this is the Oxford trial, that that's going to be licensed and made available um, before the trial has completed. So it may be available um, in the autumn or early next year, but I can't see it's going to be available in the next four weeks. Um, going on then to workload. So we're having quite a lot of discussion in the LMC and we recognise that for most practices, the workload has gone back to where you were pre-shutdown or pre-lockdown but also many practices are are reporting that their workload has increased because of PPE, social distancing, doing face-to-face isn't quicker than, uh, sorry, uh, video consultations aren't quicker than face-to-face. There's also the issue of trying to access secondary care services where many GPs are struggling with access to diagnostics and particularly x-rays and referrals. And clearly there's a national concern about the cancer uh, waiting times, particularly the two-week waits, which are, have already um, remained for some weeks below the previous um, threshold. So that we're at the moment about 80% of what was pre-COVID, which is causing some concern. So workload is an issue. And I think if your partners in your practice are getting significant challenges with the interface with secondary care, then please let us know. We've got a really good relationship with the medical directors in secondary care. They're very prepared to listen to the challenges we've got. We may may not always be able to find the answers because they're under pressure as well. But unless we know what's going on, um, then we can't try and address those problems. Um, Protected income is another concern. So we recognize that although it has been stated that practice income has been protected, there are a number of things which still remain vulnerable. So practice private income, Um, The Coif has been protected um, but there is still an issue with some of the locally enhanced services particularly the local authority ones and although the Leses have been protected for quarter one we still don't know what's going to happen in quarter two but we are lobbying on your behalf to do with that. We're also waiting this week for what they call the third phase letter so NHS England have released the first and second phase so this is going to detail what is expected in the next stage of recovery and may also cover a number of things with general practice. The optimist believes they'll address all our concerns about protected income, about what will happen with the areas of QOF which are unclear, so the quality indicators, the QI indicators, which we've been told have been amended and made easier, but we don't know how. So that's the optimist in me. The cynic might say that the previous letters have left a lot of things unanswered. And there is a concern, I know from practice managers, that the next letter will answer very little and leave many things unanswered, but we'll wait and see that letter. Um, Within your PCN, I mean, one encouragement I would give you is if we're going to cope with the workload, we need the workforce. And if we're going to get the workforce, we need to use the additional roles money within the PCNs. In some areas of the country, that money is being returned to the centre because it is unused. So, you know, our plea locally is please make sure your PCN utilises that money. You're getting 100% funding and the uh, protection in terms of employment rights. So I know there are some challenges, but we really need that workforce to help take work off general practice, not just support the system. Um, And I think uh, Lisa and Carol, I'll stop there, but happy to answer questions later.
1: Okay, thanks, Nigel. A couple of questions have come in um, already. Um, The first one is, well, there are two parts to the question. first part is um, any confirmation regarding um, UHS in particular abolishing the 14-day isolation period prior to hospital procedure. Um, We have a staff member who is due to start this isolation next week.
2: No, all the hospitals are maintaining that because that's the way they're protecting their staff and patients for COVID. I'm talking to somebody earlier, for example, the anaesthetists are not wearing full PPE in theatre because these patients should be no risk because they've self-isolated and they've been tested. So, no, that's going to continue for the foreseeable future.
1: Okay, thank you. Second part to the question, what is the guidance regarding staff quarantine for 14 days after returning from holiday? Are NHS staff exempt? And do we pay staff for this period?
2: So we, we had this discussion in the LMC earlier. So there was early on that healthcare professionals were exempt from it. And we, our belief, and I, I can't say it's anything more than that, was looking at the recruitment of and Hs staff that came from abroad. It seems to us um, unlikely that general members of the public coming from abroad, particularly Spain at the moment, have to self-isolate for two weeks because of the risk of them having picked something up and spreading it. But healthcare professionals who are going into at-risk environments such as their practices, hospitals, would not have to do the same. So our advice is that if people are coming back and quarantined. Uh, then that should apply to healthcare professionals as well, unless we get some definitive advice nationally that's contrary to that. And we have sought it, but um, unless Carol's seen anything that I haven't, but I haven't seen anything that absolutely clarifies that. Whether you pay them or not, um, that depends down to your HR procedures. You can do it as unpaid leave. You could do it as being generous to them. Uh, You know, I think some of that depends on um, when they took their holiday and whether they knew there was a risk of quarantine or not. I don't think there's any definitive advice. There is some advice, I believe, on ACAS about um, how you can manage that. But it's really an HR issue for each practice to decide with their staff.
3: There, there seems to be an expectation that wherever possible you find work for them to do at home so that they do continue to get paid because it's really, you know, it's nobody's fault. And, and people shouldn't really be be um, suffering, but it is it's it is a difficult one. Okay.
2: But I think, Lisa, going forward, um, the situation with COVID is changing all the time. And you can see peaks appearing in Germany, France. So these things may change. And I think for any of us going abroad in the next few months before the COVID vaccine comes in, that's a risk we will all run. And it's a risk organisations will need to have a policy for.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, Next question. Unmanageable amount of hospital bloods being sent our way. Is anything being done about this?
2: Yes, we have talked to the hospitals and it depends what you mean by hospital blood. So if the hospitals are seeing people virtually and then writing letters to say, please, could your GP just order these blood tests, then you need to push back. The hospital can order them. If it's about, please, could they come to your practice and could you take the bloods for us? I think that depends on what contract you've got. Some areas, uh, practices are funded to provide phlebotomy, some areas not. But I think it needs to be flagged up as if they're transferring a lot of work from the hospital into general practice, then that needs to be um, raised with the hospital. In the early days, there were some discussions that hospitals were high-risk places and general practice were low-risk. So patients were more willing to come into general practice to have blood tests that is no longer the case. The level of COVID infections in hospital is very low and not dissimilar to what we might see in the community. So going into hospitals for their blood test is um, no, no more difficult of a problem than um, it was than it would be coming into general practice. The other issue is, I know some GPs are uh, complaining that even for routine blood tests, some people having to wait three to four weeks. And even for urgent ones, it's difficult to get it in with a week or 10 days. So if the hospital transfer a lot of their um, blood taking into general practice, we can't cope. So um, I think I would push back at the hospital. If if it's occurring widespread in a particular area, a particular hospital, then if you let us know, we are in regular contact with the medical directors of those hospitals, we'll bring it up with them. And certainly, you know, as GPs, we're not the hospital's um, junior doctors to do all their admin and um, work like um, ordering tests for them. The hospital can still do that. They can work remotely the same as we can. Okay,
1: thank you. Um, Next question, letter to shielded patients. Is this being sent out centrally?
2: Yes. So I think they've been told that um, shielding officially ends on the 1st of August, um, but then patients are going to have to look at their own risk but my understanding is the local authorities are still going to provide the services they were to the shielded patients, and that will continue.
1: Thank you. Okay, uh, and one more just come in. Um, I This is from Southampton, I think. ISTC still bouncing referrals. Not sure I understand why. Um, CCG are aware. Any comments on that one?
2: No, I mean, uh, well, yes, I've always got a comment, but uh, they... All, all the providers have been told they should be accepting referrals and they should be opening up services. I think what it demonstrates is the dependence we have as G- general practice on that pathway into secondary care. And when they've closed down you know, h- half the referrals going in, that puts untold burden on general practice. So the ISTC, so the Independent Treatment um Sector who are working out of the RSH delivering services shouldn't be stopping services, they should be taking the same precautions as others. And it's worth noting that you know we're pushing quite hard that the government have bought up all the private capacity, so all the private hospitals are unable to do private outpatients, private um, investigations, or private operations because the NHS has bought that capacity. So I have asked at the STP. Um, you know, are we maximising the use of that capacity? Because those are protected sites that, you know, patients shouldn't be um, going to them who've got COVID. And again, they've got the two-week quarantine period before they're admitted, being admitted. So a lot of our elective care should be going through places that we can get on top of it. But I know there is quite a backlog because of the three-month sort of lockdown. Okay.
1: Thank you. Okay and, and another one really um, asking us if we can lobby a bit really to uh, levy some pressure on, on information coming down to practices directly rather than things being announced via the media before before general practice gets to hear about it. So an example being the bikes on prescription.
2: So um, the, quite a lot of people are caught unawares by that and I think this is Part of the tension between the politicians and the department and NHS England. So, the politicians like nothing more than a soundbite announcement. So, when I was working in the department, uh, it was often called the pet ASBO. And if any of you watched in the thick of it, um, there's a minister in a car being driven somewhere and he's trying to think of a policy announcement that would be really popular with the population but uh, wouldn't cost any money. And they came up with the idea of a pet ASBO. And sometimes some of these things are grab the headlines, but um, either they will have minimal impact uh, or, you know, I think the idea of people taking more exercise is a good one, people losing weight, eating a healthy diet, all those things are very laudable and things that, you know, should be promoted. But I agree with whoever put the question in that it is unhelpful when it's sort of announced in the media and we don't hear about it till afterwards. So I keep asking, but... Um, I mean, I know again from working in uh, the department that there's, you know, suddenly uh, uh, a message comes down from the ninth floor where the ministers are because they want, they're going to a meeting and they're going to announce something and everybody's scurrying around to do it. So it is generally thought through, but, you know, there is a difference between an announcement aimed at people providing the service and an announcement that's aimed at the, the general public.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, I think that's the questions for now. Just a a quick reminder because a few people have joined since we started. Any questions, please use the Q&A function. Um, I think I'll move on to Carol, Michelle and Helene for their updates, please.
3: Okay, so I think um, Helene, you're going to go first, aren't you? And Helene's going to cover um, some of the stuff around AGPs and uh, LARCs and possibly even minor surgery. Hi, good
4: afternoon, everybody. And um, we're still having, I know we've covered some of these topics before, but we do still have queries coming in on a daily basis, really. Um, ear syringing, and spirometry, we would still err on the side of caution. A spirometry is an aerosol-generated procedure. Um, ear syringing, there seems to be some conflicting advice around this, and we can't really give you a definitive answer. The important thing, obviously, is to risk assess. Um, to they think very carefully about adequate and appropriate PPE um, when it comes to aerosol-generated procedures, the type of PPE is is, is, is much greater than just sort of the, the traditional masks and, and plastic pennies. And there's issues also around ventilation. So at this stage, we would um, advise um, not to undertake this currently. Obviously, if things change, we will we will update you. Um, and probably the same for minor surgery. There's been conflicting advice around that, really, and we are trying to gather um, evidence um, Secondary care has produced some guidelines, and it's probably not practical to carry this out within the primary care setting. It's important to risk assess, um, and also the CCG should be producing guidance around uh, minor surgery, but we'll keep you updated. Um, There's been some communication as well about LARC. Um, Many practices have continued to do this through the COVID crisis, and most have now uh, restarted or reintroduced it. I think it's fair to say the risk of not carrying out this procedure is probably greater than, uh, you know, not doing it. There is some web- information on our website from the uh, Faculty of Sexual Health and Reproduction, actually, which is really useful on the fact that you can delay some of these procedures and there are alternative ways of um, with managing the process. Um, but uh, again, if things change, uh, then we will update you.
3: Okay, thanks, Helene. And um, we'll go over to Michelle now for uh, a few bits and pieces from her. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk a bit about shingles. So the information
0: came out in the NHSE letter on the 9th of July that practices need to start the recall process for the shingles vaccine. And within that, it mentioned some of the patients that may have turned 80 during the COVID period. And actually, these still, these patients will still benefit from having a vaccine. Uh, it was just to mention that if you're giving if you're giving that the vaccine to these patients, you need to ensure you're using a PSD and because these will not be covered under PGDs. The other uh, area to mention is that you will need to make a manual claim for these. These won't be extracted routinely, and public health are going to come out to practices shortly telling you how to do that. The flu calculator, so Nigel's talked about flu already but it was just to update you to say the flu calculator that we have on our website now includes a section around costing a service that might be when you're providing it outside of your premises and takes into account a number of things and it enables you to pop in um, the costings around the vaccines that you've purchased and your staffing. So you can look at how much it's gonna cost you to run a service outside of your practice. Mm -hmm. That's on our um, flu page. It's on the main part of our front page of our website. And then finally, just to add the NHSE newsletter that came out on the 9th of July, we have done a brief uh, summary and a table which we'll upload to our website for people to to have a look at. And we might, I would assume, we do the same with the phase three
3: letter that comes out. Thank you, Michelle. Carol. I think Michelle's just undersold that quite a lot because it's a, quite a big piece of work that she's done. And basically, what what Michelle has done is extracted everything that you've got to restart, anything that has to remain in abeyance, how to do it, what to look for, claims, etc. So actually, Michelle, that is a really, really good piece of work that you've done um, on behalf of practices. So um, don't don't undersell it. Okay. Now I'll I'll do all the fiddly bits um that, that uh, are left over, okay? So the first one is a bit sad. Um this has come from um Nottinghamshire um LMC and apparently a nurse in Nottinghamshire has had her CV cloned. And it's been sent around practices all around the country. It's gone to three different counties already. And of course, you know, it's a good CV, she's a good nurse. So you'd be getting quite excited thinking, oh, she's moving to our area, we'll have her. Unfortunately, it is fake. So uh, the, the email address to look out for if it comes to you is nurse Karen Amy's, A M I E S, at outlook.com. The real Karen Amers is KarenAmers at NHS.net and she is quite keen to know if you do receive anything you can come through us or go direct. Um, There is a police investigation underway because this is quite serious. So that's number one. Um, Number two, um, Nigel mentioned earlier about um, the ARRS scheme and making sure that your PCN is going to take its, its, complement of of the funding and everything that's available. Just to say Health Education England have found some funding for pharmacy technicians um, starting from February 2021 and it's reasonable amount of funding as well over two years. These are for pre-registration trainee pharmacy technicians in general practice so they're really quite keen Um, for placements in general practice, which you will get paid for. So we will add the link and everything to um, the FAQs from today so that you can make contact with HEE if if that's of interest to you. Um, The next thing that we are getting a lot of queries about is around do we do DVLA medicals? and taxi medicals and that type of thing. And this is alongside really everything else that's going on in terms of, you know, reintroducing work. We know you've lost quite a lot of your private income, so we're probably quite keen um, to get going again. The DVLA website is still saying that anybody whose licence expired um, from 1st of January can have an extra year. But if it's a new uh, application then they have to have the proper medical now whether you can do part of that um, virtually um, so that you do all the main bit of it and only do a face-to-face for the final bits in full PPE etc cetera, etc cetera, it's up to practices it's another one where you have to risk assess where you have to decide have you got capacity um, and have you got the right PPE and equipment in place to be able to do it but you can do it if you feel that um your, your, you know, you've got capacity and you've got the workload and everything else. And the final thing I wanted to raise with you, and again, it's a bit sad, um, the final pay controls from the NHS Pension Service are really kicking in big time. We are, We are getting more and more contacts. This is where somebody who, within three years of taking their pension, either becomes maybe a partner in the practice so some practice managers may become a partner in the practice or somebody gets quite a a good promotion and they get quite a big pay rise maybe a nurse goes to AMP and you know that type of thing the pension agency are looking at these really carefully and we are seeing some enormous penalties being levied um, both on individuals and practices depending on what's in the contract, what you've got in your practice. So what we're saying to you is if you are, you know, if somebody in your practice or you yourselves are within three years of retirement, be very, very wary, talk to your accountants, make sure that you're not going to get stung with this, because like I say, it seems to be a big thing at the moment. And uh, the reason I'm bringing it up today is, as you know, we are lobbying as is the GPC very hard to get practice managers to who become partners to get the £20,000 um, golden handshake. Our problem is with this, if we do succeed, and, and at the moment we're nowhere near, but if, we, if, if everybody succeeds on that, for goodness sake, if you're within three years of retirement, take advice from your accountant, don't just go for it because it looks great. Because at the end of the day, you could get a bill, for upwards of, we've seen some 160, pounds £190,000. They are huge fines. Um, that's all I really wanted to cover. Um, all the, you know, all the happy stuff. <laughs> Thanks. And it looks like Karen Amy's
1: uh, CV has been sent out quite widely, It certainly across Hampshire. Right.
4: Could you con-
1: con- confirm Karen's correct email and spelling of her name?
3: Yes, so is that- she is, she is, karen.amies a-m-i-e-s at nhs.net I'll give you her practice manager's uh, email address as well so that if you wanted to um, make contact with the practice and rather than go direct to the nurse because this is probably quite stressful for her he's called Aaron Darrell so it's a dot Darrell da a double l at nhs.net so I'm glad we raised it then if it's already hit it we knew it had hit Bedfordshire Hertfordshire and Cambridgeshire I wasn't sure if we've got anything here yet so, okay. and yeah it
1: looks like it's already it's gone out in Dorset as well so right. um, yes yeah, okay. certainly, well,
3: certainly well, they, are, they are quite keen to hear from you probably use Aaron's address more I think than Karen's um, but the police are certainly involved
1: Okay, lovely. Yeah, it's gone everywhere. Okay, uh, a few more queries have come in. Um, just on final pay controls, um, question, is there any way to appeal the final pay control fines?
3: I think there is, isn't there, Nigel? But I'm not sure that... I think it has to go through the accountants. I'm I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, there,
2: there is an appeals mechanism, but um, the general discussion we've had with the accountants is that um the interpretation they've got seems quite harsh so this was all brought in to stop um you know many years ago in the in the military for example people used to get promoted six months before they retired which then gave them an enhanced pension and there were practices where you know maybe husband and wife and uh wife was given an enhanced salary if you know just before they retired which then enhanced their pension so the, this final control was brought in for um, those reasons, but the unintended consequences is it's caught a lot of people who, as Carol's described earlier, had a legitimate pay rise, changed their role, extended their, their way they deliver care, etc. Now, we have had, nationally, there have been some successes in the uh, appeals process, but it's not always successful. And A couple of the ones I've heard about, it's barn door that it wasn't in, intended to try and enhance somebody's pension and it causes quite a lot of tension between the individual and the practice as well so I think it's just being aware of it and being really mindful yeah they
3: they don't seem to be very um, forgiving do they right. it's like you should have known so tough is, is a lot of what what the response is at the moment but like you say there's an appeals process it's worth doing it if you get there
1: Okay. A couple of follow-up questions on that. Um, Are they penalising if EG and the nurse gets a normal annual bonus? And if someone does get a significant pay rise, but works for three years and one month after the raise, is that safe?
2: (laughs) We, we, We are not accountants. We can't give you financial advice. But if you're getting a normal pay rise, then that's fine. If you can justify that everybody else is doing it, I can't say that's a problem. And it is within three years. So common sense... Um, but you know that commons doesn't always apply to these things. It's within three years, is my understanding. But if you're going to do something like give somebody a substantial pay rise, I would check before you do it. And remember, the issue we've had with some is people who reach retirement age may say they're not going to go for three years and then suddenly change their mind and go. And that's where we certainly, I think, Carol and I have seen a couple of practices who have been clobbered. Yeah,
1: um, just a comment saying, what about abolishing twenty-four hour retirement for PMs?
2: Would respond to why, that? Why abolish it? What are they asking for it to be abolished?
1: I think it's just a just a statement. I think.
2: I mean, you know, clearly one of the things if you take twenty-four hour retirement as many GPs have done and taken their pension and then come back to work, then it doesn't apply because you're not going to take you can't take your pension again. Okay. I, do, I mean, I think it, it is an area where you know, it is worth taking professional advice yeah. and we would encourage all practices to use specialised medical accountants yeah. for, for this very reason. You know, the,
3: yes, they, I, I, I've seen a case where a nurse actually um, retired but didn't, um, yes, yeah, she did take her pension and then decided to go back to a different practice but in a higher paid role, she was penalised.
4: Okay. Okay, question
1: I think for you probably Carol. Any update read the NHSPS court case with the BMA?
3: No, unfortunately not. Um it's it's having to be rescheduled um with a new date. Um so we know that um, Montague Evans have, have stepped up their uh, how shall I say it, their uh, their, <laughs> their threatening um stance about, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, but and, and in the hope that they get all their money in before um, before the court case. Um, but no, we, have, we haven't got a date on it yet. What I would say is that NHSPS are showing signs of parting company with Montague Evans um, and actually trying to do it um, internally. Um, and they are softening their stance. So you might get some heads of terms that actually look a little bit more acceptable these days. You might even get to negotiate about, you know, the, the soft and hard facilities management. But um, I would say don't be fooled. Let's, let's wait until we get something negotiated nationally, because we'll all be a lot stronger if we stick together.
2: I also think there's quite a lot of push from the Department of Health as well to get this resolved, I think sitting in this position where, you know, practices are in a, in a very difficult position, but it's also, um, you know, if you look at the Public Accounts Committee, a challenged why the money hasn't been collected. Um, I think for everybody's sake, it needs to be resolved. So I would hope that we'll see some positive things in the not too distant future.
1: A question uh, possibly for Helene and Nigel. Any advice about joint injections restarting?
2: Yeah, I think the same as the others. You can do them, but risk assess, take the precautions, use the PPE. If the level of COVID remains very low, you're not gonna do um, it's not gonna be that great a risk. So avoid it if you can, but you know, if if the benefit to the patient outweighs the risk, then do it. But it's same thing, you know, think about it before you do it and record why, you know, why you've made the decision, how you've made the decision. Okay. In fact, um We'll, we'll send something around because um, Andy Pervit, one of our medical directors who largely works in Dorset, has got some quite good information that was shared about um, minor surgery in general practice. So we'll, we'll see if we can dig that out of him and send it around, which particularly, rather than just minor surgery um, altogether, was about um, joint injections.
0: OK. And uh, sorry, Lisa, just to mention, Jenny has Jenny got, got a template it. letter, so I think it would be... Whether it's worth mentioning. Yeah, Jenny,
1: I think that's great. Would you Would you mind sending it into the office? Uh, and we'll have a look at that. That's That's really helpful. Thank you. I'm um, sorry, I should just expand on that, that they've done a letter to patients on the waiting list, asking them to decide based on their evaluation of pain management versus a th- theoretical risk. So they can choose to go on the wait list or bo- book in um, and the practice also balances that the income versus the additional time needed for P- PPE. So, yeah, that would be really useful. Thank you, Jenny. That'd be great. OK, I think uh, apart from that, I think we've got a few bits of information that people have posted, a few comments. But I think that's it in terms of, of questions for today. So, Carol, Michelle, Helene, Nigel, anything else to add?
3: No, oh, I don't think so. Um, just to let you know, as you know, we are moving these to fortnightly shortly and also we'll be doing um, Nigel's LMC news updates um, uh, for, for more clinical. Um, and Giselle, I believe, has been sending out <laughs> trying to get all the dates in everybody's diary so that you know exactly where you are. So um, hopefully that will still be okay. If it turns out that they're not often enough, we will go back to weekly. This is not setting tablets as of- own. Um, so if you know if you if you need us more um, then we will we will step them back up again not a problem
2: okay yeah i would just say you know thank you to all the practice managers for the sterling job they do um, supporting us whinging gps um, but if there are some common themes that you're hearing please share them with us because you're you're part of our intelligence network that we know well, what's going on um, hopefully things will remain quiet we're still looking at a second peak in october um, time, but I think that will depend on some of the social distancing measures and all the other stuff that's in place. Personally, I'm still looking more for um, localized peaks rather than generalized peaks across the country. So I'm keeping keeping my fingers crossed that we probably escaped. Um, we we were better off than places like London, who's obviously saw far more COVID, and I'm hoping that going through the winter um, we might have a low level and not have. Um, significant peaks. I would also say that we recognise that you know, if you look at the winter months probably 30% of the people we see are people with um, pyrexias and, in, and potential infections and that's going to be a real challenge as we go through trying to differentiate COVID patients from non-COVID patients and to slightly reassure you that those are hot um, which is a bit of a pun on what i'm saying but we are we are talking about it and how that can be managed and it's not without its challenges so you know the reintroduction of hot sites is a real possibility to try and look after all those patients in a safer environment but as soon as any decisions are made or advice has been um, agreed on we'll share it with you as soon as we can okay thank you
1: um, and just perhaps just a sort of final comment, I think Nigel, you probably covered it in your your newsletter. Just a bit of dis- disappointment around the ddRB <coughs> uplift and the fact that that was only applied to salary doctors, et cetera. so um just a comment there, I don't know if you want to add anything
2: further. yeah, I mean it it's we we entered a five year deal um, as for um, general practice, which then looked at a, an amount each year spread over the five years. And if the um, communi- consumer's price index or the retail price index went up or down, so inflation went up or down, there is a way of balancing it each year, so they would look at it. Um, when that was agreed, nobody thought that COVID would be around. And you know what's happened with the 2.8% uh, uplift for public sector pay um, the challenges for many public sector areas is they've been asked to give the pay rise but they haven't been given the money to fund it so in you know schools and other things they're going to have to find it from within their budget which seems um, really quite challenging so you know it does apply to salary gps but as i said in my update you need to look in what's in their contract so if in their contract you said you'll uplift their salary every year in line with the DDRB recommendations, you will be required to give them contractually the 2.8%. If that's not what you've got in there, then I know practices who have amended the contract to give terms no less favourable than uh, the model contract are then uplifting those contracts in line with what um, other people within the practice are receiving. I'd also point out that, you know, if you look at what's happening in general practice if you forget the COVID effect um, the other bits have increased the funding that would come into practices and obviously there's the bit to do with the indemnity which people aren't paying which they used to pay before but you know there is still lobbying going on from the BMA to government that this should be funded you know this is recognizing NHS workers as part of the public sector body that's responded to COVID everybody should, should benefit from it. But personally, I wouldn't hold your breath.
1: Okay, thank you. And finally, a comment about how do we plan for flu for family members of shielding patients? Will the detail be in the letter? I guess the answer is we hope so.
2: I doubt it. So um, what, what we would suggest, and certainly I'm on two or three flu planning groups, is for the shielded patients, the expectation is not that they will all be done at home, that you will create um, times in your practice where it's, in inverted commas, a safe and secure environment, and that may be the time you do shielded patients and their families. Um, I mean, you can go out and do home visits, but I think that's highly unlikely that practice will have the capacity to do that. And also the cost of doing um, them all at home will be prohibitive. So I think bringing them into a protected environment is is the way to go. But I think the the detail in the letter that's coming out, and hope will explain what they mean by shielded patients and their families. And, you know, for example, they're looking for 100% coverage of NHS staff. Um, So I've asked the question about, okay, so in hospitals, they go to to the occupational health department. We obviously don't have occupational health for practice staff. But the expectation is that, as it's your business, that you will ensure that your staff are vaccinated.
1: Thanks. And I think just as a follow up comment that's been made on that, I think it's concern about how practices know, can calculate the numbers. How do they know how many are in the family? So I think it's a.
2: I think um, put your finger in the air. And I think, again, it will be how many vaccines we've got available. And probably, I mean, I know in my practice in years gone by, we felt that everybody would benefit from a vaccine. So we ordered more stocks in than we would do at the at risk groups and we would give it to people who weren't in it. I think this year you need to use the supplies you've got you know, sensibly. And again, I would go back to if people aren't in the entitled group that you'll get paid for, don't vaccinate people until later in the year when you're sure you've got enough vaccine.
1: OK, brilliant. Thank you. I think that brings us to the end of the, the questions. So I think does anybody else have anything they'd like to add?
3: And just to say then, just to be clear, that we're not here next week, um, but we will be back on 12th August.
1: Okay. lovely thank you thank you everybody
3: thank you thank you bye, bye.
0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your
4: practice